Let's pray. In our midst today, it is only you who can illumine our hearts with your word. So we pray in the name of Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Happy Pentecost. Oh, as you probably know, it's my favorite feast of the church year. I heard you laugh over there. Um, Brothers and sisters in Jesus, what would it look like to live fully as God intended us to live? And how would it impact our lives and the lives of people around us who do not yet know Jesus as Savior and Lord? I think that is the perfect question to ask on the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost is, as you know, a feast that focuses on the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk about the Holy Spirit today because I think he's incredibly misunderstood. What comes to your mind when you hear the term Holy Spirit? Many of us think of a sort of vague celestial force that sometimes shows up to help us make the right decision or empower good deeds towards our brothers and sisters. That's true in a sense that he helps us with that. But scripture shows us that the Holy Spirit is a person. He has personality. He has personhood. The Bible says he can be grieved, that he speaks truth, that he advocates for us, that he dwells with us and in us. And so I'd like to look today at a few things that the Bible says about the Holy Spirit himself, not itself. He is a he. Then ask, what difference does Pentecost make for us? Are you with me? So let's look at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament first. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, no one is permanently filled with the Holy Spirit. But there are instances of temporary empowerment. For instance, King Saul. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him and the spirit of God rushed upon him and he prophesied among them. Or the artists who were working on the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 31, God says, I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs. And then there's Samson who by the power of the spirit of God on him tears the lion apart with his bare hands. You see, but the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament also has other roles. He is the creator and sustainer of life. He is present over the waters at creation. He enables people to walk in righteousness before the Lord. And yet we don't hear much about the person of the Holy Spirit. And nobody is described as having ongoing personal communion with him. It's probably the main reason people, God's people, the Israelites, can't seem to obey him or actually carry out the purposes he has for them. There's a lack of spiritual power and a lack of intimacy with God. Some of us are still suffering from this lack today. Many people in the church are suffering from this lack today. But then we start to see some promises throughout the Old Testament of something that's going to happen We see that there are promises from God about a new kind of relationship with him that is going to be made possible for his people. The prophet Ezekiel, 
Chapter 36, the Lord speaks through Ezekiel and says this, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and careful to obey my rules. You shall be my people and I will be your God. See, it's, it's about a relationship. And then Joel chapter two, of course, which we heard quoted at length today from St. Peter, where God says it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so there was a looking forward to this day when a new age would dawn, when the Holy Spirit would not be limited in the lives of God's people. So while the Holy Spirit was active in many ways in the Old Testament, there are promises made that he would be given in an entirely new way. And it would be a sign that a new age had dawned. Now we get to the New Testament. We get to the Gospels. And we start hearing quite a bit more about the Holy Spirit and the life and ministry of Jesus. What is one of the first events publicly that happens to Jesus? He goes to his baptism. And in his baptism, as he is coming out of the water... The Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove, in the form of a dove or as a dove. The Holy Spirit is not a divine birdie. OK, <laughs> we, we pick we use the dove in a lot of our pictures, but it's symbolic. And it says that he remained on him. And then Luke tells us shortly after Jesus is bat, he's baptized in water. And as he comes up, he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down upon him. And Luke tells us shortly after the results. He says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was well led by the Spirit into the desert. This is where he has the one-on-one arm wrestling match with Satan. And he is victorious, unlike God's people before who were in a wilderness of their own for 40 years, who were unsuccessful in their obedience and carrying out the purposes of God against the evil one. You see, at the very beginning of Jesus's public ministry is an encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit. He is filled. And Jesus, see, being filled with the Holy Spirit is like a visual display that the promise of the Father is coming to pass. The promises that we see in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Joel. Now, Jesus also speaks of this promise. We just heard from it in John chapter 14. He says, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then just a couple of sentences later, because you're asking yourself, how in the world could I do the same things that Jesus did? Heal the sick and cast out demons and raise the dead. How in the world could I do that? He says, I'll do even greater things. How is that possible? In a few sentences, Jesus tells them, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. You see, this word advocate, in Greek, parakletos is the word. It's one who comes to the side of, to assist and to aid. It's a comforter. A helper, as some translations say. 
and he takes the place. Jesus says, it's good for you. You guys are sad, but listen, it's going to be better when I go away because the Holy Spirit's going to come and you're always, my presence is always going to be with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Some of us think, gosh, it would be nice if I could just walk the shores of Galilee with Jesus in his, in his physical body. Then I'd really have great faith and I'd probably be able to do miracles and all that stuff. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't even need to buy that expensive plane ticket because the Holy Spirit is going to be present everywhere in his people all over the globe. And you don't have to pay any money or do anything to get him. Just be yielded and open to him. He's basically saying this to his disciples. You will walk in a life of power and miracles that attest to the gospel because my spirit will be living in you. The same spirit that performs miracles through me. Amazing. Now, Tucked away in the very end of Luke's gospel, there's this little scene where Jesus is chit-chatting with his disciples. Luke chapter 24, verse 49, and he says something to them. Now remember, the promises made in the Old Testament, you remember? I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Okay, Jesus says this to his disciples. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is where the story starts to intensify. The movie starts to get really intense. It starts to come to the most exciting parts. He's getting ready to commission them. He says, go in the city and wait for the promise of the father. What is the promise of the father? He says, you will be clothed with power from on high. The promise of the father in this context, he's not talking about salvation. These are already his followers. They're already Christians. They've already experienced water baptism, but something else is going to be a part of that salvation process, which is this. They're going to be clothed with power. Now, Luke, who, you know, also wrote the book of Acts, kind of revisits this scene at the very beginning of the book of Acts. We're getting closer to Pentecost. Don't worry. We're getting there. And at the beginning of verse uh, of the book of Acts, it says this, while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, right? He said, stay in the city, but to wait for what? The promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. That word baptized is where we get our word overwhelmed. The word is, it means to be immersed or drenched or doused. You will be doused with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then we fast forward just a few sentences in the conversation and they're asking him some questions. And he says, don't worry about when the father's going to restore the kingdom to Israel, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, he doesn't say when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive salvation. They already have that. He says when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. You see, being baptized, being immersed in the Holy Spirit is not about salvation. It is about power. It is about power. What is it? What is the power for? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and to the ends of the earth. Say this. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Power. Witness. Okay, that's the flow. Holy Spirit, power, witness. It will enable witness. Now. Now we come to Pentecost. Today. And from this scene, 
when this mighty, rushing, violent wind comes upon this 120 followers of Jesus who are waiting obediently, as he told them to in the city. They're praying fervently, waiting for this power to be clothed with this power. And they're waiting, and this mighty, rushing wind comes into the room. And something like the form of a... a, Now, see, the Holy Spirit was the form of a dove. Now it's the form of fire, right? The fire in, in Scripture always represents God's presence comes upon them and they begin to speak in different languages. Why? Because there are people, Jews, who are in Jerusalem at this time from many different nations because the Jews had been scattered throughout the lands. And so there were people of many different tongues and they begin to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to them in their own languages. It's astounding. It said that crowds began to gather around to see what in the world was going on. This wasn't like a little gentle breeze. Holy Spirit's here. This was a mighty rushing wind and they began to speak in languages they did not know in their natural selves. That's being clothed with power. Now, The crowds give a couple of different responses. Some of them start to move closer in. They're intrigued. They're interested. They want to know what this Holy Spirit is saying through these people. And then there are some who stand on the outskirts with a spirit of analysis and objectivity. This is fanaticism. This is emotionalism. I don't know what this is. I'm just going to be an objective observer. And some of them say, They're drunk. That's what it is. They've been hitting the bottle this morning. They have been hitting the Jack Daniels and they're just having a good old time. Now, why would they, why would they accuse them of being drunk? And some people will say, well, it's because they were speaking in new languages. But if I came out onto the, uh, out into the sanctuary and I began to speak fluent Mandarin Chinese to you, would you accuse me of being drunk? No, you would say, we didn't know that he spoke Chinese. They accuse them of being drunk because there is such a movement of the Holy Spirit in power that their behavior is a little bit silly and they're joyful. You know, in uh, 1994 in, uh, in Toronto, Canada, there was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's referred to as the Toronto blessing. And many people stand back and they point at that and they say, people are acting like idiots and they're acting drunk and silly, but they're rejoicing in the name of Jesus. And people were coming to know Jesus. And some people wanted to stay back and point and be analyzers and observers and criticizers and judges. But you see, sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes in power, you just get happy because the presence and the love of God is on you so powerfully, you can't help but laugh. And so Peter responds to the criticism. And he says, no, no, no. This this is a dry county. They're not drunk. He says, they're not drunk. He says, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. We don't have our wine until 5 p.m. This is what the prophet Joel was talking about so many years ago. In the last days, it will be God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Say all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. When the Holy Spirit comes, there are manifestations. You know he is present. And Peter says, this is what was prophesied. This is the promise of the Father. This is what Ezekiel was talking about in Jeremiah, in Isaiah, in Joel. That the Spirit of our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would come and dwell on us. 
This is what Jesus told us about. Now notice he says, um, in the last days, I will pour out. That's what God said through Joel. Do you know what the Greek word there means? It means pour out. He doesn't say he's going to sprinkle the Holy Spirit or dash him or pepper him. He's going to drench, soak, immerse, overwhelm his people with the Spirit so that they are, like Jesus, filled. And you see the the results of it is from that room goes out a mission that begins to change the face of the globe and the history of humanity because the name of Jesus is proclaimed through these people who just sat in that room and humbly and obediently waited for the coming of the power of the Holy Spirit to give them the power and the boldness to be his witnesses and to perform signs and wonders in the holy name of Jesus. Think about it like this. In 1970, the Aswan High Dam was completed in Egypt on the River Nile. This thing was 375 feet high. It's 11,000 feet across. It was a 17 or 18 year project in the making. And it was going to contain, uh, it was going to release 10 billion uh, kilowatt of capacity. The turbines had 10 billion kilowatts of capacity. They're going to release uh, waters that could light every city in Egypt. But in that 17 years of ongoing construction and development, there were people who lived downstream who needed, still needed a stream of the river to come so that they could wash their clothing and water their crops. And so they allowed for a small stream to flow through and to meet their basic needs. See, this is the difference in the Old Testament age and Pentecost in the new age that is dawned with the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that in the Old Testament... There was a stream, there was a river of the Holy Spirit available to God's people for living righteously and for comforting them, meeting their needs and doing things among them. But when Pentecost comes, it is like the waters are released, 10 billion kilowatts upon the church so that things in Egypt that could have only been dreamed of before are now made possible because of the mighty rush of the water of the rivers of the Nile. That's what Pentecost is like, this great outpouring. So let's move practical. You know that I always like to get practical before I finish my sermons. You see, friends, the question is not, does the Christian have the Holy Spirit? If you have put your faith in Jesus... You receive the Holy Spirit. If you, have, if you have been baptized and put your faith in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. That's not the question. The question is, does the Holy Spirit have the Christian? See the difference? Maybe this is new for you. This whole clothed in power thing, or as Jesus calls it, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. But here's what's needed. Not a theology degree. Okay, not a Bible degree, not great wisdom and profound knowledge about all things. What is needed is total surrender. Because people who want to maintain partial control of their lives will not be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you keep back a portion of your life from the Lord, how can he fill it? He respects our free will. And so what is needed is not arguments and knowledge and theology and all this sort of thing, but it's a humble 
and yielded heart that says, Lord, I'm hungry. Fill me. That's it. Pentecost was the dawn of a new age, the fulfillment of the promise of the Father. And God's people are now clothed and are and, and it has been made available to them to be clothed with the power that we need to carry out the purpose and the mission of Jesus, making Jesus Christ known to the world. See, we can't do it in our own strength. A lot of us don't share the gospel on a regular basis. And it's because we don't have the boldness in and of ourselves. It's because we need to be immersed in the Holy Spirit so that his power can work in and through us. I've shared with you all that I had this wonderful experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit back in March. And what has happened is I feel like I have been able to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit minister to the people around me. You see, that's what happens is you just you have a new boldness because he's in you. He's just filling you and you just you don't care anymore about what people think, because sharing Jesus is so much more important than my own ego and dignity and what people will think of me. But we need the Holy Spirit. To carry out his purposes. Do you see now why we're having a worship event tonight called Come Holy Spirit? Because I can preach and preach and preach on this and tell you more and more and more about it. But until you have an opportunity to gather together with saints and have people lay hands on you and ask for God to fill you, it will just be head knowledge. And the Holy Spirit doesn't communicate primarily through head knowledge, but through being in us and having a hold of our hearts. In our lives. Now, for those of you who are thinking this stuff is scary, it's weird, you're right, it is weird. God is weird. He does and moves in weird and mysterious ways that we cannot wrap our minds around. But the evidence in Scripture points to the fact that God has a deep desire to fill every one of his people with his Holy Spirit and bring them into a new place of boldness and power in their walk with him. It is undeniable, I think. And then you can read through the book of Acts. And if you never have, you need to, because you'll see people constantly getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know what? There's no formula to it. There's no formulaic way that it happens. One time, my favorite time in Acts chapter 10, Peter's preaching to a room full of pagans. They're Gentiles. They don't even know the gospel. And before he gets five sentences out, before he finishes the introduction of his sermon, the Holy Spirit falls on the room and they begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. I love it. Before they've even given their lives to Jesus and been baptized in water. You see, God moves. We can't keep him inside of our boxes. There's no formula to it. But what we can see is that God has a desire to dwell with his people in intimacy, in power. Friends, it all comes back to the heart of the gospel, which is that Jesus Christ died so that we could become God's dwelling place. He poured out his life on that cross for the forgiveness of sins so that we could be made a pure and holy temple, a dwelling place for his Holy Spirit. I believe many people are going to walk away from our worship service tonight just touched, just changed, just filled with joy and love and the peace of God. I believe that with all my heart. I'm excited. And I hope you are too. Let's pray.
Come Holy Spirit. That is the cry of our heart today. We need you to do Pentecost again and again and again throughout your church, Lord. We need our hearts to be revived so that we can rejoice in your presence. So, Lord, we just give this day to you. I pray for each and every individual in this room that there would just be a softening, just a tenderizing of our hearts, that we would be able to receive the love that you want to pour out upon us with your presence, Lord, so that our church would just come so alive in your power and that your glory, that this would be a dwelling place for your glory, Lord, so that when people walk through those doors, they know that the presence of Jesus is here. They know that you are here healing and touching and blessing your people. Lord, we thank you now for this time that we have to come to this intimate place of you in communion and ask that you would prepare our hearts to receive your body and blood, your sacrifice for our salvation through the cup and in the bread. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.